At the first sound of clashing steel, they loaded up their rafts with provisions, wares, and any folk capable of swinging steel. Though they were not lacking business downstream, the anxieties of warring factions in the woodlands promised riches beyond their wildest dreams. Genteel merchants though they may seem, this tribe of otters is as quick-witted as they are quick in the water. The feline soldiers, the avian aristocrats, the woodland citizens, and even a stray possum or two will be thrilled to find what seems like a bargain, but the river folk have aspirations that exceed mere wealth. If their deal-making is shrewd, they'll be firmly in position to exert great power once the fog of war has cleared. Power comes in many forms in the forest, military might, influence, information, allegiances, but all these can be bought with coin. They are the Riverfolk Company. Welcome to Woodland War Room, a root strategy podcast. I'm your host, Tony Sarkis. The Riverfolk Company is a fascinating faction in root that plays quite unlike the other options in the box. I'm not talking about what the faction is trying to ultimately do, build, craft, battle, score points, what have you. In that respect, they're not so different from the majority of factions. The unique aspect of these otters is that their game is mostly not played on the board at all but in the conversations that happen during the game. While other players are working to exert influence over specific clearings, you, personally, are attempting to capitalize on the dynamics at the table in order to influence the players themselves. Furthermore, the most important plays you make will happen during other players' turns. More than any other faction, you need to embody the spirit of the faction to do well. Table talk is an essential component of Root, but understanding and using it well is an especially essential component of the Riverfolk Company's game plan. Players can purchase your services at the beginning of their turn, and it's up to you to remind them of this fact, as well as to offer genuinely helpful advice for their game. Though the Vagabond is technically the faction that aids others by giving them cards, it is you who provides actual information that will help a player's game come together. The Riverfolk's arrangements are of mutual benefit. By gaining the trust and confidence of others, and by usefully explaining how you are an essential part of their success, you'll engender goodwill, the capital of any successful entrepreneur. Speaking of goodwill, it's hard for other players to ignore that their pieces are sitting on your board when they buy your services. If you hold on to them for too long, it'll give the appearance that you're holding them hostage. Though that may at times be true, always communicate why you're not returning them to their owners. For instance, This turn, I need to build a trade post, and I couldn't spend your funds specifically, but I'll get them back to you next turn. If you do choose to hold on to warriors of a faction after relations break down, leverage that and ensure that the other players know what you're doing. For instance, you could be holding woodland rebels hostage so that they cannot interfere with the valuable infrastructure works of the Marquis. We'll get to the river folks' specific services in a moment, but first a word about the faction's difficulty. A successful merchant can sell a customer something they didn't know they needed, but to do so, you have to know your customers well. If you're not familiar with the strategies and needs of the other factions in the game, you'll have a harder time understanding when to offer your services and what to be offering. I recommend playing at least one game with each other faction before digging in with the river folk. But if you'd like to just get your feet wet, the following advice should prove helpful.
before you can sell your wares, you must understand their value. The Riverfolk has three services on offer, and a player may purchase one per turn, plus one for each clearing they share with one of your very convenient, non-threatening trade posts. The most visible, and typically the most popular wares in your inventory are the precious items laid before you. The Riverfolk plays with their hand on the table, face up, available to the highest bidder. Cards and root are valuable to all factions, but for different reasons and at different times. Ambushes are universally desired cards and will most likely go quickly. But when it comes to the other cards, the factions at the table will inform how you play. With the Marquise, point out that a bird card, any bird card, is a free action. That's an extra building, a crucial military maneuver, more wood, or a class of new military recruits. When you sell cards to the Marquise de Cat, remind her to use the bird cards before taking action against the Woodland Alliance, lest those precious cards be taken and added to the supporters of the cause. Non-bird cards have limited utility to the Marquise, but if she has a lot of workshops, try to sell those as well. The Erie buys cards before they add to their decree, and remind them of this often. Your fox card would be a great boon, and could allow them to recruit an extra warrior each turn in their secure clearing. They're low on points, and this bird card would let them establish roosts anywhere they please. You're not only selling valuable cards, but you're offering yourself as a loyal advisor. Fill that role competently, and your coffers will grow with each bird song. Empty pockets make poor customers, and the Woodland Alliance are as poor as they come. With so few funds at their disposal, a Woodland Alliance player will almost certainly not be buying your cards, but they might be tempted if you have an ambush in hand. Do not harry them for business, as it gives the other players an impression that you're desperate. You might be, but they shouldn't think that. The Vagabond is an unusual customer, and it's difficult to give general advice. If they have a tea kettle or two, then mention that they have plenty of unexhausted items and can buy things from you while basically suffering no setback at all. If they're not so well refreshed, it might be difficult to get them to buy from your selection, especially if they have sneaky fingers and can steal from you instead. Like any successful religious organization, the Lizard Cult always has plenty of coin to spare. Why not spend it on valuable rabbit cards from your hand? This faction is beholden to the capricious social status of the forest's inhabitants, and as such they cannot move or battle with as much command as others. Rabbit cards with persistent effects, namely the blueprints for a cobbler and command warren, free the faction from the whims of the outcast suit and are extremely valuable, especially if crafted early in the game. To sweeten the deal, tell the lizards that you'll even help them craft those cards by drawing over your hand size and discarding rabbits to the lost souls pile. I'm holding off on giving advice for the Corvid Conspiracy and Underground Duchy, but we'll do so in those Factions episodes when we have a better idea of how they'll play. how to make your goods fly off the shelves, but how do you convince the other players that your eager mercenaries are a good deal? Though it seems easy, getting others to borrow your military might takes some hard work and maybe a bit of coercion. The Marquise has plenty of soldiers on the board, so why would she need a puny few otters? Well, maybe because they're quote-unquote guarding a sawmill, and she'll be unable to access the lumber there unless she hires them to protect it. If you move your warriors to a clearing with empty building spaces, the Marquise could enlist them to lend a hand in construction of a new recruitment station. 
Since her actions are limited, it's hard to convince her to hire you for battle purposes. But your mercenaries also establish rule over a clearing, and this is where their true value lies to the Marquis. Think creatively if the Eyrie has an onerous decree to fulfill. It can be difficult to build or battle every turn, but you can fill in gaps in their game plan if they've made an oversight. For instance, perhaps the player needs to battle in a mouse clearing, but the other players have vacated those clearings in an attempt to embarrass the Eyrie when they can't fulfill their military promises. But wait! You happen to have a single soldier across the board in a mouse clearing. By hiring that mercenary, the Eyrie can fulfill their decree and survive another day without falling into turmoil. You can also establish rule on the Eyrie's behalf so that a roost can be built, giving the player valuable points and card draw at the end of their turn. Think ahead and station your warriors in positions that will be advantageous to other players in their next turn. Keep in mind that mercenaries cannot be moved and so cannot fulfill movement requirements in the decree. The Woodland Alliance, as discussed, is unlikely to use your services and that extends to mercenaries. The Vagabond isn't even capable of hiring mercenaries as she is unable to issue them commands from across the forest. The Lizard Cult is flush with cash but cannot easily battle and so mercenaries are of limited use. However, by helping to establish rule, you can help the lizard to build new gardens in which their practitioners may worship. Just make sure you're not helping the cult out too much, as their scoring potential accelerates very quickly. Riverboats are typically the least used service, as they only provide a slight movement advantage to players. Though the riverfolk can move unencumbered through water, other players are still bound by the requirement that they rule the clearing they are moving from or are moving to. The upcoming lake map will make riverboats a much more valuable proposition, as the large body of water can make movement costly, and your riverboats are the only game in town. So now that business is booming, what can you do with the funds you've generated? For one, building trade posts is an extremely worthwhile endeavor. These unassuming teal tokens allow other players to do business with you, and they do not significantly set you back if they're destroyed, and so they're typically not a high-profile target. Feel free to leave them undefended. Once a trade post leaves your player board, the damage has been done. You earn two victory points, but more importantly, building that trade post gave you a boon that will last the rest of the game, and the other players may not even notice. The Riverfolk are adept craftsmen, and by building a trade post in a particular clearing, they learn the skills of the animals that live there. For instance, a fox trade post will give you the knowledge required to forge foxfolk steel. Unlike all other factions in the game, the Riverfolk's crafting capability can never be diminished once it's established. Build your trade posts as quickly as possible in order to give yourself many crafting opportunities throughout the game. Money talks, and mice, foxes, and rabbits will be grateful if you stimulate the local economy in their clearings. More than any faction, the Riverfolk are able to earn the favor of these tribes, leading to devastating results for other players. The trajectory of the Riverfolk's game resembles the Woodland Alliance, a slow and steady early game building up to an explosive late game. However, the Riverfolk are able to precisely control when their gameplay pivots. You should be amassing wealth and building trade posts to the best of your ability, and then, when you feel comfortable doing so, begin crafting items for points. This should be a breeze due to your superior crafting ability and, hopefully, your healthy war chest. Committing funds to draw cards and craft them does not reduce your economic strength in future turns, as opposed to recruiting warriors or building trade posts. Take advantage of this to craft as much as possible. 
Pricing your services correctly is an essential business skill. It can be tempting to price all services at two or above, as earning just one fund per turn causes your protectionism ability not to trigger. If no one does business with you, you automatically get two funds each turn from your own warrior supply. Other players may use this strategy to their advantage in only providing you with one fund per turn and basically cutting in half what you are able to accomplish. This can be extremely frustrating, but if you can tell that's happening, keep your cool. Keep advertising your services, but begin working on an alternative game plan. This is the time to use your export ability to keep your game on track. This way, you've still earned two funds, but another player is now missing one of their warriors as it's sitting comfortably in your payment box. I typically price all services at one, even if there's the risk of this protectionism manipulation by the other players. Even one of their warriors in your payments box is extremely valuable, more so than one of your own pawns, and you shouldn't consider earning just one fund to be a loss at all. What I've seen happen is that low-priced services make you very popular with most or all players choosing to do business with you. Make sure to keep your hand full of cards so everyone has a chance to purchase something. This can trigger a type of arms race, but where you're arming all sides of the conflict. Unless I have a great reason, I never increase prices above one. Circumstances warranting a price increase include keeping ambushes or favor cards in your hand, or protecting your mercenaries if you need them for a game-changing military strike. Though you're capable of generating dividends from your liquid cash, you put yourself at great risk. Earning these dividends requires that you have no vulnerable trade posts on the board, and it also requires you to forego at least two actions that you could otherwise take to improve your board state. In games with two or three players, this may be a valid strategy, but I've never once been in a situation where I felt this level of risk was acceptable. And with that, it's time to close up shop. I hope you found this business advice to be sound. The tenets of good business apply en route just as they do in the real world. Marketing matters, have a business plan, know the value of your goods, and don't sell to mice. They make lousy customers. This has been Episode 2 of Woodland War Room. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and business associates. This episode has been written and produced by me, Tony Sarkis. If you'd like to participate in a future episode, contact me using the information in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in, and until next time.